Hey, Westwood family, Pastor Zach here. I'm so excited because I'm joined by one of my good friends, Josh Freeman. Josh is the initiative leader of the Six Degree Initiative based over in West Africa in the country of Togo. Uh, why don't you just share with us briefly, what is the Six Degree team exactly? And what are some of the things that you are putting your hands to there in Togo? Yeah, Zach, it's great to see you again. Uh, super thankful to get to be uh, a part of Westwood from afar. So why the name? Uh, quite simply, we're located six degrees off of the equator. And really from the inception, the idea was to start a church planting movement in an area that desperately needs the gospel. And so that's, that's what we do. That's what we focus on is leadership development with the focus of, of disciple makers, making more disciple makers that are planting churches that are gonna continue to plant churches. I love that so much. In fact, would you mind sharing just a little bit about the spiritual landscape of, of Togo and then kind of that sister country of Benin? Uh, this place is known as the slave trade coast. That's the history. And so there's been a dark um, history of bondage there. And then before that, this is the founding place, the birthplace of voodoo. And so uh, that is the darkness that we live in. This is a place where uh, it's just weaved into culture. The witch doctor is the person that you go to on every every corner. There's a flag and it tells you the type of demons that they converse with and the type of power that they hold that you can come to and ask for help in different areas and, and they will consult the demons for you and whatnot. So it's just this bondage that continues to remain. And so as a team, that's what we're trying to go after. We want to go directly to those areas, to those places, to, to bring the light of Jesus to, to a place that has been um, trapped in, in spiritual and true slavery for years and years and years. I mean, clearly there is a deep darkness when it comes to voodoo. And, and our team, when we were there in October, we, we felt it. We, we felt the oppressive nature. But the beautiful part is that the light of the gospel shines forth even amidst that darkness. And so Josh, what's a story of God's goodness and his light shining through you and the team there in Togo? Yeah, it's it's the it's the story of Jongo. Jongo is is a former witch doctor, and uh, his story is is birthed from one of our church plants, our second church plant, and one of the members of the churches. He's not he's not a pastor, he's not a leader, he's just a member of the church. But he would go out faithfully and share the gospel on a weekly basis. And he picked this this village that Jongo was in. Well, through that process, eventually Jongo allows his family to go to church for the first time. He wasn't going to do it, but he was going to let his family go to church. Around that time, all of a sudden, Jongo's power was not working to the idols and demons that he would sacrifice to. And so he decided, maybe I'll go check out this Jesus thing. Maybe he's got some answers for me. And so he comes to church one Sunday. He hears the gospel clearly presented and he gives his life to Christ. And uh, Easter of last year was one of my favorite days I've ever spent in Togo. And it was it was his baptism Sunday. He gets to declare publicly that he is no longer this powerful witch doctor, but a follower of Christ. And, and we baptized him. And immediately following, we got to do one of my now favorite activities in ministry here in Togo was uh, an idol burning. So we go back to his home and I mean, we're digging up hundreds of idols, raking them, we're burning them, singing songs to God, praying over them, ultimately saying, this doesn't define me anymore. I am changed by Christ. I love that. I love that. Two observations that come from it. First, it took one church member to just go and share faith. And then the second reality, I'm reminded of that beautiful hymn, 
I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. And so as we think about this Love Builds initiative that we're in and the, the generosity explosion that can take place through the Six Degree Initiative, uh, what are some ways that uh, you're looking to God's faithfulness moving forward into the future through this multiplication effort? Um, as we approach that 190,000 disciples, as we approach those continual churches planted in, in, in villages and places that don't have a church, that is what you are doing. You are you're investing in kingdom advancement that's going to go generations deep and root itself in an area that desperately needs the gospel. That's amazing. That's amazing. And so on behalf of Westwood, we are so grateful for you and the team and everything that y'all are doing over there. And we're excited for what God has in store for us. Thanks to partner with us, Westwood. We, we couldn't do without you. We covet your prayers and uh, we're so thankful for you. To Zach and Josh, little did you know you'd come and learn about voodoo and its history and its impact in the world today. And let me just give a shout out and thank all of those that are joining us at Bush Lake and West Tonka and online. Glad that you're here. And especially if you're a guest, you have come on the right day, the best day. <laughs> because today you're going to learn about how to write a life mission statement from Nehemiah 10. But also you're going to hear about the vision of Westwood and what God is doing around the world. And we're gonna be participating um, in this next week and getting ready for Commitment Sunday. So we're making financial commitments. So I'm just saying to all of you guests, we're not asking you to give, but we are asking you to be in awe of what God is doing around the world. He's on the move, and this is a church that wants to move with God where he is at work. May you know God's blessing. And to our Westwood family, you know this to be true, I love you so much. And I love what God is doing in us and for us and through us, which is why I've given you this bold invitation to be an FP. You're getting that by now, right? An FP is a first paragrapher. Would you put your name and say yes to your story being included in the first paragraph of Westwood's next chapter called Love Builds? It's a two-year generosity initiative. It's above and beyond our regular tithes and offerings. It's big. It's $9 million that would allow us to accelerate the here, near, far vision and catapult us toward the 2028 goals that God has given us as a church. And what's been fun in this journey is we've been going through Nehemiah, which we'll wrap up next week, actually. And I've loved this book. I hope you have, too. But Nehemiah is, in, is essentially doing the same thing. He's inviting the people of God in Jerusalem if they would be FPs. He's saying to them, would you be people who would be first paragraphs? Would you say yes and put your name and your story in the next chapter of Jerusalem's history called Love Builds? And for them, it was a building initiative. Um, they were actually dealing with a city that was in ruins. So they have to rebuild their homes and their businesses and the like. And of course, we see now that they are indeed in that building process. And how do they do it? There's only one way they do it. And that is through, I'm going to use this word. It's what I'm calling my message. The teaching title today is to recalibrate. That is to change the way you think or do something. For 90 years, those walls had been destroyed. The city has been a mess. But now they're recalibrating and they're changing the way they think and what they're about to do. And it's important for them because quite honestly, they had been uh, for a long time not into God, but now they are, big time. They can't get enough of God. For a long time, they were lost 
in terms of their ways, they, they'd lost their homes and their families because the Babylonians had come in uh, that empire and wiped out Jerusalem and then the Persians. So everything was just decimated in that place. But now they're back into Jerusalem. So they're recalibrating. They're just intentionally connecting all aspects of their life with the very higher purposes of God. That's what it means for us to recalibrate our life. And how do they do it? They do it by writing a life mission statement, or in their setting, I could say it's a family mission statement. Have you done that? Have you ever written a personal life mission statement or a family mission statement? Because it becomes your, your compass to be able to move forward. It's such a great discipline to do this. But what's unique about what they do, they don't just go privately and write down, this is why I exist, this is what I'm gonna give my life to. There's a lot of things you can put into that. But they do it as a family of God together. They say out loud to each other, these are the things that are gonna rise up for us. So in Nehemiah 10, we find them um, writing and declaring out loud this new family mission statement as the people of God. There are probably six or seven primary things they include. I'm just gonna elevate three of them. I think they're the three that go to the very top of the list. If you've written a family mission statement or are thinking about doing it, um, we wanna have these three in the top of our list as well. So I wanna invite you to be in a place where you would just say, is that on my family mission statement? Is that in my life mission statement? Is that a strength or is that a weakness? Or is there something that God is calling me to do to recalibrate my own life, to change, to adapt accordingly? I pray that the Spirit speaks to each of you. You ready to learn about what they put in their life mission statement? Just say yes. Thank you, let's do it. The first thing they do is they say, we will make God our priority. They're saying, God, we will love you and we will love your word. But again, I said, they said this out loud to each other. We will make God our priority. And I go, well, let's do the same thing. Let's be the people of God and say out loud in our family life mission statement as Westwood, join me, we will make God our priority. And they do that so powerfully. Um, and we find Nehemiah declaring it this way, together with their wives and all their sons and daughters, they bind themselves. There's this bonding of love with God and each other. They bind themselves with an oath to follow the law of God, circle that, I'll come back to that, given through Moses to obey carefully all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord our Lord. And so you find this beautiful picture of the law of God, and you might think of that as a dutiful phrase. It is not, it's a rich phrase. The law of God has two expressions. The law of God here is referring to the law of love. They had forgotten that God so loved them. And they had forgotten to love God. So they have this renewal in their love relationship with God. I mean, they are alive. They're quickened in their heart to a love for God and for each other that is extraordinary. And I try to think of an analogy that would work. I suppose if you've had a child who's been wayward and it's been years and all of a sudden you find yourself coming back together again and that love gets renewed, it's a powerful experience in your life. Or if you have a marriage that is just fallen apart, you've fallen out of love with each other and something happens and you come back together and there's a renewal of that love, I mean, you're singing and dancing in the rain. And this is what's happening. They have fallen in love with the Lord, remembering the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And now they're loving God and they had forgotten that. They've come back and they're in that beautiful place of love. And when that happens, 
When you realize how much God loves you and, and you start to love God back into this place, it impacts not just your sense of relationship with God, but it shows up in how you treat other people. The law of love is infused by God in and through us and impacts our relationships, neighborhoods, collegial relationships, family relationships. And if you've been around Westwood, you know that I speak often about the three laws of love. First of all, to see people the way God sees people. That God sees people from the inside first, not the outside first. Our inclination is to see people, judge people, even condemn people on what we see on the outside. But he always starts at the beginning on the inside. Aren't you glad that he started with you on the inside of your heart? His love comes to you on the inside and he begins to change you beautifully. And the second law of love is to treat people the way you want to be treated. It's simply the golden rule. And the third law of love, don't miss it, is to love God the way God loves you. And oh, how God loves you. They're getting back in touch. God, you love me. And you start to realize we are the beloved sons and daughters of this God, and it brings us home to him. So they're loving God, and they're loving each other in beautiful ways. So the law of God means the law of love, but that's not all. The law of God also means the word of God, that we find this to be the authoritative voice. It's what unites us together, friends. Is there a standard of authority that unites the people that live on the face of the earth together? Yeah, it's the, it's the law of God. That is the word of God that speaks in unity. It is authoritative for our life, for our faith, and for our practice. And so we encourage you to be a people who read and take in um, the word of God because we need the word of God on so many fronts in our life and our journey. I just hope that Sunday is not the only time you're opening up the word of God because the impact is needed in such greater ways. I hope that throughout the week that you are, because its impact on your life will change your life. In fact, I came across a study by Back to the Bible, an organization that's been around a long time. They did a survey, global survey. Surveys are usually, you know, a few hundred people up to maybe a few thousand people, but this survey was 400,000 people around the world related to the impact of the word of God in people's life. And the results were extraordinary. He, the, the key takeaway is what they call the power of four effect. That the life of someone, this is their key takeaway, the life of someone who engages in scripture four or more times a week looks radically different from the life of someone who does not. If you are a believer, and you put yourself next to a non-believer, but you're a believer who is not in the word of God, you're not gonna statistically look any different than them. But if you're in the word of God, they say the power of four, four times a week, or more days of the week than not, the power of God's word begins a transformation in you that is extraordinary. And they list all the statistical um, delineation comparisons that are there, like, for instance, your desire to share with other people your faith in Jesus Christ exponentially raises when you've been in the word of God because you're in touch with the love of God, which is not just for you, but for other people. Or your strength to face temptation and resist it is exponentially higher if you're in the word more than four times a week or four times a week or more. Um, or I love this one, that there's a 30% um, increase of people who no longer struggle with loneliness because they've been in the word of God. You know that loneliness is one of our crises today. Yet we're so connected and yet we're so stinking alone. And people are struggling with this. But when you're in the word of God, the companionship of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit meets you and changes you and reminds you, you are not alone. God is with you and for you in all things. Oh, be in the word of God. It makes such a profound impact in our life. And if 
If you don't have a Bible, we want to give you a Bible. So stop and the ushers will give you a Bible today. We just want to invite you to step in. Because if you do, this is what will happen. In a year's time, you will not be the same person one year from now that you are today if you step into the word of God. Your mind will be stretched. Your heart will just enlarge. And your passions will be ignited for the things of God. You'll come alive and you'll go, wow, I just, I wish I would have God in my life all the time. But you can't now. Begin that journey, invite him into your life and enter into the word of God and watch what he will do. And above all, you will grow in wisdom, by the way, which is one of God's great gifts that he gives to anyone who wants to receive it. And it's received by being in the word. It helps you know what to do, where to go, what to say, how to say it. We could all use some benefit from the word of God to that given end. So step into it. On their family mission statement, this rises to the top. Uh, To make God a priority, to love God and to love God's word. But then, second we find in the text in Nehemiah 10 that they say we will make church a priority. They didn't call it church, they had the temple, but the, the common denominator is that they would come together to worship God and to serve the purposes of God. That that we will make church a priority. We will make coming together to worship God and serving his purposes a priority. And they looked at each other, I think for a sense of accountability that we need each other to hold each other up before the Lord to this given end. And they said out loud, we will make church a priority. So would you join me and say that together? We will make church a priority. And that is a a beautiful call. In fact, Nehemiah states it so simply. He says, we will not neglect the house of our God. We will not neglect the gathering together because God purposed us to meet together. We were never meant to go alone. Uh, go alone. We, we are meant to be able to worship together and to serve his purposes um, as a united voice. And I, I get what it is that creates the struggle um, in the journey. And I, and I say this oftentimes in, throughout the years that in your own personal life with God, if, if you choose not to enter into reading the word and being with the, with the Lord over two days or three days, it's amazing how quickly it can become two weeks or three weeks and become two years or three years. Or, or, and, and even when it comes to church, if you find um, that you take a few weeks away from um, gathering together with the people of God in church, there's a, there's a fading effect that happens and all of a sudden those few weeks become three years. And it can even go longer than that. And there's this distance that happens. We don't even realize we just slowly drifted away. No, we're called to be in the word of God, but we're also called to gather as the people of God. And I understand the things that are challenges that, that pull us away sometimes. Sometimes you're just tired. You had a full week. I'm gonna just, I'm gonna stay in my pajamas and have a cup of tea and eat a Danish. And I know I'm speaking to a few people online right now and we're all for you. I want you to know. We all have those days. We just don't want that to become a pattern in our life and our journey. Or, you know, you have just, the game is on. Whether that's football or could I say basketball? Because it starts early and I'm a total freak when it comes to basketball. I love the NCAA tournament right now. Aren't you excited about how your bracket is just totally busted right now? <laughs> Isn't it fun though in a, in a way that you just see these underdogs come up? I just love this time. March is my favorite time. March Madness is so much fun. I just want to watch games, you know, and all of a sudden I, I miss the month of March. <laughs> but something fades and the intention to come back makes it even more difficult. Or you might be raising a young family and your kids say, I don't wanna go today, mom or dad. Did anybody ever have one child ever say anything like that? (laughs) Sure you have. But it's amazing how their voice, if you stay home, they see what you've done and they'll bring it back again and again and again. Or maybe this is your challenge. My kid plays sports. 
This is a cultural shift that's really impacting our ability to even come together. Where once Wednesday evenings were preserved, they are no longer. Where once Sunday mornings were preserved, they are no longer. It's a real challenge, and it's not new. It's been decades in the making. And I know that because we had a son who played um, competitive basketball and was on a touring team, and they played three or four games a week, and we always battled finding that place. It just started to consume life along the way. And we had a particular evening. It was Monday, Thursday service, Holy Week, just before Easter. And I said, remind your coach that we have um, Monday, Thursday service. You're not going to be able to be at practice this week. So he said, okay, and he did. And he came home, and he was a little disturbed, and he said, I'm going to miss games. I won't be able to play if I miss practice. I go, what? Your coach tell you that? He goes, yeah. I go, come on. I don't believe that. And, uh, and so I, I said, I'm going to call your coach. He said, okay. I called the coach. He did say that. But that's not all he said. And I am not exaggerating one word of this. This is what he said to me. He said this to me. He said, basketball is my God. I'm not making any of that up. That's what he said. And I realized we are at an inflection point in this culture because basketball is not my God and nor will be my kids God. So we had to get real creative in how we were gonna do that. But families, I realize the pressure that comes here, but I am inviting you to recalibrate. What adjustments can you make in your family to see that you come um, to church, that you worship God together with people and serve his purposes. God intends that for us. But can I also confess with a spirit of vulnerability, we're trying to figure out coming out of the pandemic what it means to be the church because our rhythms of connection have changed. So we are in planning season right now, and you can pray for us because um, we will be working on a planning through the end of June. It impacts our fall ministry and going into 2024. What are the services we offer? When do we offer? How do we help people gather together? So we as a church are recalibrating along with you and we're finding our way, but let's do it together. So on this beautiful mission experience that um, they have in creating a family mission statement, they're talking about making um, God a priority, they're talking about making church a priority, but they do something else. We will make generosity a priority. For those of you who are so intentional and very organized and planning all the time and you have a life mission statement, you have a family mission statement, do you have this one? We will make generosity a priority. Do we even think of that as being a priority and a mission statement? Well, they do because they understand the city is in ruins. For it to ever flourish again, we're gonna have to come together with the generosity of God flowing in and through us to be generous for the purposes of God in the city of Jerusalem. So they know that flourishing is dependent upon this generosity, but generosity is part of the heart of God and the heart of God's people, no matter whether the city is decimated or not. It's just the mark of who we are, and they're reminding themselves because they had forgotten that, but now they're back into the city. This is what Nehemiah says. We also assume responsibility for bringing to the house of the Lord each year the first fruits of our crops and of every fruit tree. It's a holistic commitment. Because God first, no, they had forgotten that. They had been away from that, but now they're back and they're going, oh yes, God. We have forgotten the instruction of your word because they had faded from their minds and their hearts, but it's our first fruits that we give to you. 
And if you read through Nehemiah 10, you'll be moved by this, how much is actually said around this priority that they make, which we will make generosity a priority. They said that to each other out loud, so let us say it together each out loud too. We will make generosity a priority. It's what they do, and they go through. And some gave um, to the purposes of God gold and rebuilding of the city, gold, silver, and cash, but not everybody had gold, silver, and cash. Some gave wood, and some gave grain, but not everybody had wood or grain. And some had... Um, the, the beautiful flock of herds or olive trees or they had the fruit of other trees and they gave from that but they all holistically gave from the first fruits. It's a recalibration. Could it be that in our life mission statement we could use some recalibration around generosity? It really does matter. In fact, I was thinking about how this benefits you, uh, us as a community together and there's so many ways. And I just took a step back and thought in my own life because I wasn't nurtured or cultivated in a family that taught me to give to God through his church or the work. That's something I would learn later. And, and yet when I think about my life now and I look back at it and I go, what is generosity? What has been the benefit for me personally? I think it's the same benefit for you. Let me just outline a few of these things. First of all, you honor God. You put a smile on the face of God. Do you ever think that you could have a smile on the face of God? How many of you would like to put a smile on the face of God? Just raise your hand, okay? <laughs> then be generous as he has been generous to you. I have a life mission statement. I wrote it many years ago. It's not long. I exist to honor God. That's my, my mission statement. One, because it's short and I can remember it. <laughs> Second, because honoring God is a beautiful canopy for everything that I do in life because everything that I am and everything that I have belongs to him. I didn't know that when I was 17. But when I was 25, I did. And I started to live that way. You honor God, that's a good day in your life. Secondly, you get rid of idols in your life. And we think of the word idols, and we think of ancient biblical history, but then we just hear a video from Josh in Togo today talking about idols that got burned in their journey. And you know that really idol worship is simply giving your affection to someone or something other than God. That's what idol worship is. So we all are at risk of idol worship. One of my newer friends in my life is Jim, and he's been here for just a couple of years, and we've had a great time getting acquainted over these last two years, but his story kind of just stops me cold around this arena. He shared a story with me that at 17, he put his faith in Jesus Christ. It was real, it was powerful, it was authentic. But at 18, he joined the Navy. Do I need to say more? The, the drift started to happen ever so slowly. But he returns, gets married, has kids, starts to live his life, but he's already drifted away from some degree from the church, from Jesus and his faith that he claimed when he was 17 years of age. And he just continues to live his life and he starts to give his affection to things like golf. He's a very competitive golfer, very good, like many, many trophies in the house. That's good golf. You have trophies. Or karate. He's really good, he's athletically inclined. A lot of trophies give evidence to that. And he starts to give his affection in his life to these things that bring him a joy. And yet still a little unsatisfied on the inside. Two years ago, he renews his faith in Jesus Christ through some pretty amazing circumstances. He comes back to church, which is how I get to meet him in the journey. He heard the hymn, the old rugged cross, and the words, until at last my trophies I lay down. And that little word came as a conviction of the Holy Spirit right into his heart. 
And he went and he took his dozens and dozens and dozens of trophies and he did what we saw in the video, hit his own idol burning experience and he threw them all in the trash, which is amazing because they reminded him of 50 years of drift. Not five, 50. Because we fade and we forget. Now he's come back and by the way, I, he gave me permission to share this story. He's not asking you to go put your trophies into the garbage. I want to be clear on that. But to be mindful of what you're giving your affection to. And now he's here at Westwood. He's leading a dynamic new ministry in apologetics, which is really about the heart for people who have yet to know the heart of God. Because that's where he had been. It, it rid you of idols. Generosity reminds you of what's priority to that end. And third, it does something beautiful. It makes you fall in love with Jesus in new ways. Because every time you give, you're remembering what he did for you. If you're doing it from the heart, with heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that's exactly what um, we're being called into, is grow in love with Jesus Christ by being a generous people who benefited from the generosity of God's love in your life. And then finally, is just this reminder that you matter. That your generosity, you may not think that you matter when it comes to generosity, but it really does matter. You may think, well, all these needs get met. No, no, they don't. Don't don't deceive yourself that way. Don't be disillusioned. God works through the generosity of his people to do his work. He's ordained the church to do that given peace. But you'll find that your generosity matters to God. It matters to yourself. It matters to your family. It matters to the community. By the way, it matters to people that you will not meet until the other side of heaven, here, near, and far. So we're not distant from them. We are one with them. And we'll see them in another day. And that is our bold invitation because we know that God has provided the resources. We believe in this community of faith to reach that $9 million goal, which is the largest goal in our history in terms of raising dollars for vision and purpose. But we think the resources are already here when we live with open hands. And that's one of our core values at Westwood. And our core value is an important part of our DNA as a church. And that is we call rhythm, that we live with open hands, gratefully receiving from God and joyfully giving it away. This is our posture before God. God gives, we receive with open hands, believing that he wants to give us a lot. We give joyfully um, unto others, believing we cannot outgive God, and God receives glory, honor, and praise. And that's the spirit, the benefit that comes to us. So here's the invitation. Would you this week, as we come to wrap up Nehemiah and next week with a commitment Sunday, would you take the next step on the path of God-honoring generosity. Paul speaks about it pretty poignantly in Corinthians. He says, since as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love that we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. And so therefore, we have given you an opportunity to excel in the grace of giving. We invited you to take the booklet and to have the opportunity to learn more about the stories. We hope you've picked this up and have read it. It's available online. You can pick it up at all of our sites as well. Inside is a commitment card. We're inviting you to process that over the course of the days of this week. Next week, we're gonna come for one of the most meaningful worship expressions. It will touch your heart and we'll offer ourselves to the Lord as they did in Nehemiah's time. Because the people of God do this. We renew our commitments along the 
the way. Inside you will also find a pathway of generosity. It's a profound pathway, and I'm just gonna walk through it simply. You have to read it in the booklet to get more detail, but you'll notice the pin, kind of like a GPS, the invitation to take a next step on your path. And I'm just gonna say this is the path that I personally had to take. It's been one step after the other. Those cultivated since childhood give thanks to your parents or whoever cultivated that in you. What a great, great value that they've given you benefit. But you start with a first-time giver. If you've never given to the work of the Lord through the church of Jesus Christ, take that first step. We all have to start somewhere. I was in my early 20s. Carrie helped me make that I'm forever grateful that she did. We have to start with a first step. So if you've never given, then let this be about taking that first step. And the second is to become a responsive giver. Maybe that pin moves to that next level where you give occasionally. And and that's beneficial. Um, That had been part of my pattern too. A Christer, you give at Christmas and Easter, that's a good time to give. Or occasionally because your heart gets moved or tugged. Can I just say we had a worship prayer gathering a week ago Thursday night, last, a week ago last Thursday night, and it was our leaders, our leadership board, our lead, our lead team, a couple hundred of us who gathered together. We already made our commitments unto the Lord in that gathering. It was so moving. That's why I know next week is gonna be so moving too. And I'm so grateful. Our leadership board, our lead team are all in. They've already given their commitment cards. They're paving the way for us as a church to do this as well. But what moved me most that evening was a little 10-year-old boy who made his way. And I know his mom and dad, so I called and learned the story behind that. Didn't expect to see him make his way, but she said, well, we've been having conversations at home about love builds and speaking about what God will do through this generosity. And we give our children three jars. We give them um, a spend jar, a save jar, and a give jar. We try to teach them to learn how to manage those things even in their youth. And we came to that worship gathering. He was deeply touched and he said, Mom, I wanna give from my spend jar and my gift jar and be part of this. And he filled out a commitment card that evening. I'm just telling you, kids melt your heart. They get the heart of God more quickly than we do as adults, but set the way. That's the responsive giver. And then you have the intentional giver. That is, you're intentional. You know what your resources are. You plan your resources. You give them consistently. Um, At Westwood, we have this opportunity to have recurring giving, which could I just invite you to become a recur giver? You may have to move from first time to responsive to get there to intentional, but after the pandemic, when we shut down completely, to receive any kind of resources to do the work of God, everybody had to become a recurring giver or go online. Since then, people are fading away from that. Can I invite you back? Because it gave us a stability to lead wisely and well when we had resources coming all year, including the summer. That kind of consistent giving is really helpful to us. Become an intentional giver. And then the next step in that pinpoint is to become a gracious giver. What Paul talks about, the grace of giving, excel in the grace of giving. To give 10% of your income. That has always been the platform in the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it's grace giving from your heart heart. Some people go, well, you don't have to give 10%. It could be anything. Well, it can be, but if they gave 10% in the Hebrew scriptures and then Jesus comes, I think we would consider 10% as a norm. And that's a great thing to strive for. It took a while for Carrie and me to get there fully, but we did and are grateful for that opportunity. And then to become finally an extraordinary giver where you've just been abundantly blessed in your journey. And God bless you. I have friends who live on 10 or 20 or 30% of their income. Knowing that God has provided for them, they give their resources beyond the 10%. What a gift to do that. 
But God teaches us this way of the heart. It's his heart, generosity. It benefits you today and for all eternity. And we will fellowship with believers here, near, and far because of this collective um, initiative called Love Builds. But again, through the mouth of children, we learn best. So take this in. Today, we're going to talk about tithing. It's a simple tactic that everyone says understand. Grandma loves her money, but I'm only four. What the thing? So, I'm going to teach you this lesson using donuts. They tend to be donuts and monies. My dad takes the donuts. I want to eat one bite. They're not my donuts. They're dog donuts. Since I have 10 donuts, that one wants the first donut. Just the first, not the last. If you don't deal with the first donut, you might forget. The tar payment. That'll pay for your house. But I have kids like me, and I like toys. Before I take any bites, well, next time, I'm going to give Don my first donut. Mm. Oh, boy. You have to give it up for the kid, don't you? I mean, it, Jesus said, let the little children come to me because they come. They just get it so naturally, and they experience the benefit of it. So beautiful, fun, but we know the heart of it, I think, is captured well by the words of Amy Carmichael, who says, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. That if you have the love of God, it stirs something loose within, and you open your hands versus gripping your hands. That's the work of God that we get to be part of. And we invite all of you to be part of that in the course of this next week and well beyond, to say the least. I'm gonna wrap up with one more brief story. I want you to welcome Heather Wilford, who oversees our ministry here, near and far. Extraordinary leader, extraordinary leader. And would you give it up for Heather? Thanks, Heather, for being with us. Um, yeah, Heather's gotta be one of the most fun people I have met, and to see her come onto our team, changing her career because you had a recalibration of your life several years ago, and she leads one of the largest and most impactful ministries. All of our ministries have great impact, but God has raised her up. She's not coming from another church. She's not coming from a seminary. She's coming from our own church family. We saw the gift and said, come be part of it. You said yes. So how did you move in your own personal life to become a follower of Christ who cared for the families of the earth, not just your own family. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's been an, a definitely an intentional journey of seeking God's heart in that. Um, I was a teacher, and then I was a stay-at-home mom, and um, we've been attending Westwood for about eight years, and I've been on staff for six. So, you know, um, when we first started coming to Westwood, um, it, it recalibrated my life for sure. I grew up in a faith tradition that didn't teach me 
how to share my faith or even that I should. And so when we came here and started hearing, you know, that we should have a heart for the nations to come to faith, that was that was very new to me. And so I started just praying differently. I asked God to give me a heart for the nations and started seeking it when I would be reading my Bible and as I was praying and even just the experiences that I had, you know, serving here, near, and far. And God has been just so gentle and patient and keeps continuing to show this to me. Uh, even this past October when I went with the team to Togo, God did something in my heart there. Um, as you heard Josh and Zach share, it's just a place where you can sense the, the darkness, the physical dark, the, the, the spiritual darkness there. Um, we were in a village that is um, known as a spiritual stronghold. There's a 400-year-old voodoo temple there. There's no known church. There's no known believers. And as we drove in, I just, I could feel the darkness around me. And my gut response was just to run away, to go, go away, to not look back. And uh, later that day, I was just praying and I felt God nudge me on the shoulder and just say, you know, Heather, there are people that have been born into that village that have never even known that they're under that darkness. They've never even known that because no one has told them that there's another way. You know, there's this prayer that says, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. And I think God was breaking my heart for the fact that there are people who've never known that there's freedom and that there's hope and there's life that comes from knowing Jesus. So it was that affirmation of how can I not be a person that's about sharing the love of Jesus for people who've never heard it. How could we not be a church about that? Yeah, well, you do it beautifully. You lead beautifully. And I think the reality is there's darkness everywhere. And it takes light to penetrate the darkness. We're seeking to do that. In 2018, we cast the vision for here near far. The far expression was to say by God's power through partnerships of those leading these initiatives of church planting and gospel sharing in the world. God, we're available to be your church that would plant a thousand churches by 2028. And so we've been faithful to continue that work, but boy, has God done more than ever we could have dreamed. So where are we in terms of that thousand churches and then how have we recalibrated? Yeah, it's been really exciting to be a part of that. You know, we passed the thousand church mark about three and a half years into the vision. This past fall, sitting at over 1,500 churches have been planted uh, in the first five years alone. we just said thanks to God for that already. So we've already passed the 1,500 marker. What does yes. that mean for the future? So we've been recalibrating and we're prayerfully asking God that we could plant 10,000 churches by the time of 2028. So adding a zero to that thousand. But you know, we're seeing God at work in incredible ways with different partners we're with, with Crew and Converge and the Timothy Initiative, working around the world in Middle East and in Myanmar, in Central Asia, you know, in West Africa. Um, and just, you know, seeing the hand of God at work, you know, in Togo alone, I'll I'll just share a little bit. The Six Degree Initiative uh, launched 14 years ago in Southern Togo, and it took them seven years to plant the first church. It took about three and a half years for them to birth the second church out of the first, about two years later for a third church, and now in the last year and a half to two years, they've multiplied to 29 churches. It's just incredible. And, and you know, they are working hand in hand with Crew, with the Timothy Initiative, to look at every single village in Togo to find the ones that don't have a church and say, we're going to go there. You know, the Timothy Initiative actually launched 200 training centers just this past fall, raising up enough leaders to plant four to 5,000 churches in the next three to five years. I mean, so God is just on the move. Yeah. And it's exciting. Again, we're going where God is. So 10,000 just makes sense to us. Let's be bold with our generosity. And one of those partners, um, 
is really special to us at Westwood. Moses, who's in Myanmar, his family came and visited Westwood. We have a photo of that family. And Moses spoke that day at Westwood, and his son Joseph was battling a brain tumor, and they didn't know that he would live. And, and we as a church just had great compassion and been praying. But some of you have asked, you know, what's happening with Myanmar right now, both on the church planting side, but also with the family. Can you give an update there? Yeah, well, thanks everyone for who've been praying for Moses um, and for Joseph for these last several years. So we just just got in touch with Moses again this past week, um, and he just shared uh, that their family is doing really well. Their oldest daughter is in college in California, um, and Joseph, I mean, it's it's truly a miracle. God has worked a miracle in his life because he had a scan back in January, and there it was clear. So we just praise God for that. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks to God for yeah. healing. It's phenomenal what's taking yeah. place there. Yeah. Which, by the way, I just want to encourage you to pray for Myanmar. Right. And uh, it's one of our targeted areas. There's persecution happening there. Pray for the persecuted church. I just heard this last week that they're... Um, the, the, the military came in and wiped out a village. They beheaded all the men. They raped all the women. I mean, it's really dark, dark stuff. And it's happening in our world. But we're bringing the light of Jesus Christ there. Just briefly, because yeah. I love your personal story with Adam and your commitment to love builds and the process you went through. Yeah, so um, my husband and I got to attend a Love Builds event back in January together. And, you know, Pastor Joel, you shared last week that you and Carrie normally are on the same page when it comes to commitments, but for Love Builds, it took you some time to come to an agreement. And uh, I shared with you that my husband and I are often the opposite. So usually we come out of something like that on opposite ends of the spectrum, and it takes some discussion and um, discernment for us to come to the same page. But we were at this event in January, and God put a number on my heart that is bigger than any gift we've given to Westwood. And we got home that night, and before I could say anything to Adam, my husband looked at me and he said the same number. And so we said, all right, we're making our commitment tomorrow. Like, while we're on the same page, but we're just really excited to be a part of what God's doing here at Westwood in this next chapter. You are a joyful leader, and we're so grateful to your leadership at Westwood. And let's say thanks to Heather, Adam, their whole family for serving the way they do. I'm going to wrap up, but could you just take the posture that has been our very core value? Just open your hands before you and receive this prayer. Father God, thank you um, for a love that just is mind-boggling that you come to us and meet us wherever we are, no matter what we're going through. And then to see the people of God so long ago do what they did, and here we are in our time doing the same. God, we're making you a priority to love you and to love your word. We're making the church a priority to worship you and to serve your purposes. We are making generosity a priority because you are on the move and we want to go where you are. So guide our steps this week as we come together next week for a time of worship that we pray the angels of heaven will celebrate with us. We give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.